Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to another adventure in history. How's it going, Mac? It's good. We have a guest here today. We do. This is going to be exciting. And I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. I think we're going to run out of time. We are going to run out of time. <laughs> we have Ann Samuelson here today. She's very shy. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't like very to, quiet. to talk that much. We're gonna, but we're going to peel away those layers <laughs> and get to the heart of the story. So you're telling me we should knock out the uh, Let's do it. history? Yes. Because I, I have kind She's of... She's just grinning at us. I have a lot. <laughs> okay. Ooh, good. Yeah. So these are things, of course, that happen tomorrow, February 27th. So... Okay. Icebreakers, things to talk about, maybe win trivia. We don't know. So I'm not going to give the date. I want you two to try to guess. Oh. Because I was very caught off guard by this. The first federal vaccination legislation is enacted. Oh, First federal vaccination. Ooh. Are you going to tell us what the vaccine was? I it? will, but that would give it away. Oh. 1813. Oh, yeah. I, I was really surprised. I thought, I thought it was going to be Spanish flu, like 1918. Right. How did or they tell people that, though? So, so here it is. The Vaccine Act of 1813 was an act of the 12th Congress of the United States to the encourage 12th. vaccination against smallpox. Oh, smallpox. The act was the first federal law concerning consumer protection and pharmaceuticals. And then when you, when you see the reason why, it kind of makes sense and what they were trying to do. Dr. Edward Jenner discovered smallpox vaccine in 1796. And hucksters quickly exploited the demand for vaccine by offering fraudulent versions. Oh. The act made these provisions. There are three main things that it was trying to do. A federal agent charged with preserving genuine vaccine. Uh, the authority for the agent to distribute vaccine to any U.S. citizen. And distribution of legitimate vaccine postage free. Oh, interesting. So they were trying to keep the fake stuff away. Yeah. But technically, it's still the first legislation. Okay. So 1813, that really surprised me. 1827, New Orleans take to the I streets for the first Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's a fun one. And you know, Mardi Gras and Carnival are the same holidays. Same thing. Yeah, same, same thing. thing. I didn't know that. I was looking up And what have happened. you been to New Orleans? I have. See, I thought you had. Yep, but I did not, because I lived in Miami, I did not go to Mardi Gras. It sounded just a little too much. Too crowded. Too much of everything. Too I mean, because New Orleans is always a little like <laughs> a crazy. Little too much. I mean, but it's fun. I mean, I like I like New Orleans a lot. And, and Anne, have you been to New Never Orleans? Never been to New Orleans. No. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I'm it, not sure if I want to because of that exact reason. Yeah, it's crowded. There's not a lot of public bathrooms. Like that's one okay. of my vivid oh, memories. I'm not going I'm out. There. That's, yeah. I'm out. I'm out. Plumber's <laughs> daughter is out. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That uh, you just you and were, then you add all this alcohol and all you, those people. You, are, you see that doesn't add up to me. That <laughs> yep. uh, even more. But well, you are not going to be the spokesperson for New Orleans with that with sorry. that sales pitch. Um, you had an audience of two in person, and you both you turned both of us yep, off. There so. we go. Uh, 1844, the Dominican Republic gains independence from Haiti. That. That's good. I'm always fascinated. <clears throat> Same island. Yeah. Haiti, not going so well, ever. Dominican Republic, doing pretty well. Same island, same resources, you would think. Right. Seems odd to me. Uh, let's see, 1864. This one was just for me. <laughs> but the uh, Union inmates begin arriving at the deadly Andersonville prison, 1864. Oh. Okay. Do you know about Andersonville? I don't. See, I kind of thought you might not. 
Yeah. Because you're not, you, you like history, but you're not a history person. I am not. So the Andersonville becomes synonymous with death as nearly a quarter of its inmates died in captivity. The uh, guy that ran the place, Henry Wurz, uh, was actually executed after the war for brutality and mistreatment Ooh. committed under his command. Um, so it was officially called Camp Sumner, became necessary after the prisoner exchange system between the North and South collapsed in 1863. Uh, the stockade at Andersonville was hastily constructed using slave labor and was located in the Georgia woods near a railroad, but safely away from the front lines. Enclosing 16 acres of land, the prison was supposed to include wooden barracks, but the inflated price of lumber delayed construction. So most of the guys were just living under tents or out in the open. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so they also had a, uh, a little stream that went through that was supposed to provide fresh water, but within a few months, human waste had contaminated the creek, so they had no sure. fresh water. And it was built to hold 10,000 men, but within six months, more than three times that number were incarcerated Ooh. there. So 30,000 people. And the creek banks eroded to create a swamp, which uh, occupied a significant portion of the compound. Rations were inadequate. And half the population was usually ill. Some guards brutalized the inmates, and there was violence between factions of prisoners. Sure. And you said a quarter? A quarter of them died. Wow. So it was brutal. Yeah. Andersonville. So it starts on this day. Uh, 1974, People Magazine begins publication. Oh, how fun. (laughs) I like People Magazine. It's a good, you know, very Um, (laughs) non-newsworthy source of information. Low-stress thing to read. Yes. Yeah. Meaningless, actually. Yeah. To me, me, it's a a doctor's office thing. It is. Or hair hair salon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was almost... Doctor's offices don't hand out magazines anymore, Mac. That's true. Yeah. Since COVID, I've realized that. Because a lot of the doctor's offices have have, uh, cum tucks. Oh. But those are gone, too. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, that was almost going to be my history highlight of the day, just for fun. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. But but I couldn't, because 1922, the Supreme Court defends women's voting rights oh, yes. when they uphold the 19th Amendment. Yeah. So what I didn't dig deeper into this, they upheld the 19th Amendment. So who <laughs> took it to the Supreme Court fighting against it? Um, my guess, a man. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good guess. So. Yeah. Um, but obviously... Making sure the 19th Amendment was going to stick. More important than People Magazine. Oh. So my history high low today. That's a good one. I, yeah. what I miss? Uh, I, you know, I think you nailed it. I had a couple more, but I'm not even going to go into them because I'm excited about our guest here tonight. And I think she has a lot to say. So first things first, we, we should get out of the way. Yeah. You are a native. You, yes, you, you I am. grew up here. You were born here. You were born at St. Mary's, weren't you? I was born at St. Mary's on March 22nd, 1959. Well, you don't need to say the date. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes we, me an we, old we, historian we, almost. We, we don't force anybody to say the dates. So. <laughs> almost. So, yeah. So, so. But you said you your, can, you date back, you your family back date. Further. Yeah. Well, I, I'm learning more. You know, if any of you have gotten on Ancestry.com, and I don't do it well, but I paid my little fee and took my, and I'm, you know, you find out you're related to all these people, which I already knew I was related to a lot of people. But um, my family goes back here in Astoria to the 1800s, <clears throat> from what I understand. And um, I had a great, great, it might have been a great, 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 but it was a great, 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 maybe grandfather that was a fisherman, and he had a wife named Charlotte. And um, so that's where I sort of begin knowing. Other mm-hmm. than that, they're, they came from Sweden. And uh, my paternal grandmother actually came through Ellis Island to Astoria. 
Um, oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. Like they knew, she knew she was coming here. She came here. Yeah, she came wow. here through so, Ellis Island. She passed away when I was only three, but um, yeah. So have you like tracked that history, like seen her signature or anything? I or? haven't really had time to do all that. Some okay. of it's come through on the website when I do take time to look at it, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. busy with what I do every day with volunteering and real estate. So, you know, it's hard to we're, just focus and sit down and, and do that. And we're going to get to how busy you are in a bit. But do you have any idea why that person came directly here, though? Have you learned that yet? Well, my ancestors were in the fishing industry, and, you know, this has been a bountiful place for fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad actually had a gillnet boat named after me, the Anne Christine. And um, I fished in high school with him wow. and pulled in the gillnets and did the whole mm-hmm. thing. And, 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 you know, we were, Astoria was different then than it is now. When I was growing up here, we, you know, all of us kids would go down to the docks and hang around in our dad's boats, and I'd go repair nets with my dad in the net building, and, you know, it, it was a, it was really a gift when I think about in my life when I reflect back on, you know, some people tell me I'm a workaholic, but, you know, work is joy. You know, there's that poster about Gilmetters that work mm-hmm. is our joy. Mm-hmm. And I always just felt so grateful that we could, that bounty was a big deal. And my dad was, when he was high boat on the river, he fished at night and he was a plumber during the day. And um, for Abrahamson Plumbing, before he started his own plumbing business that I worked with and I'm with him as well before he passed away. But um, it's just that whole natural resource, you know, vibe and I'm and I'm married to a logger too now you know who doesn't actually log he runs a loader for somebody else but now you just got to bring beer into the equation you've hit all of our industry <laughs> well you know and beer 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 probably isn't the thing I should be doing and beer's never been my favorite but um so, so for the non-fisherman like me what's your dad fishing for and how far out is he going is he just in well, the river gill netting, or is he, you know, so, gill netting so just about... in the river in the bay just okay. in the river yeah. in the bay and he fished for salmon that was a small group. I mean, my father-in-law, Norman, had a gillnet boat. I mean, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a, was a small club, right? I mean, there weren't... Yeah, there's then. certain names. There's certain names, Ryder, Terabakia, yep. you know. Um, there's others that I'd think of if I had time, but it was a... It's kind of a club, if you will. And, and everybody helped everybody, yep. you know. Everybody helped everybody. And some people had... My dad had the old bow picker, like the bow picker fish and chips you mm-hmm. see down here that's the kind of boat my dad had some some guys had the big you know s- the big steel boats and and manufactured boats but and where's he selling his catch yeah. on fish buyers were on flotation when we did it we're on flotation things on docks out in the river sometimes and then like where fishhawk fisheries is now my husband's cousin has fishhawk fisheries steve fick i remember going there and um that's where we sold the fish. And where, you were at Astoria High School. Yeah, I graduated in 1977. So what other activities did you enjoy doing when you were going to high school? You were, and you were fishing at night off sometimes, you said. Well, when I, I was at high school, I had a horse. So oh, nice. I was into showing horses and 4-H with horses. And so that kept me really busy. And I worked at Custard King. Oh, nice. Which was an experience yeah. in itself. Ooh. You know, um, there was a cop named Jasmine I think that used to come we'd be there on a Friday night and if you look at Custer King it's got the windows that go all the way around Mm -hmm. well when you're in here you're literally in a Uh fishbowl you know and he'd come around and then he'd 
pull up on the side and he'd come and order something and we'd all get all excited because Jasmine had showed up and we had to get him something. And then there was an ambulance driver. I don't even know why I'm remembering this. <laughs> and I can't remember his name, but he was a big guy and he was an ambulance driver. So like he's saving people that are hurt, right? And he didn't look super healthy, but he would come order a raw hamburger with melted cheese on it. Oh, when I worked there, it was so bizarre. So we'd have to melt the cheese on the grill and put it on the raw hamburger and give it to him. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's why you remembered it, because that's horrible. <laughs> that's, isn't it amazing? Disgusting. I haven't thought of this since, since like, I was 16. So, I'm yeah. pretty God. sure Terry Bay does not do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Even upon request. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow, I'm... I know, where do we go from there? I know, where do you go I'm, from there? That, the I image mean, of that is just too disgusting to me to even yeah. rationalize. Yeah, no. You know, the only thing I want to hear from that is that there's a dog riding in the car with him. No, there was no dog. And he's handing the dog, but there you would have mentioned no the dog. dog there was so. no dog. There was another guy with him usually that ate a cooked hamburger. Wow. That's one order I don't want to get messed up. I know. <laughs> I think I got yours by accident. I know. So with these activities, where did you think you were going to go then with your life? Well, I initially, when after I graduated from high school I went to Portland State University and uh, Kathy Ryder and I did together both our dads were fishermen and her dad was also a longshoreman and we'd known each other all through school and then I went I think for a year and then I came back my dad was diagnosed with mesothelioma and um, I needed to be back and um, so I did, and he, I think he lived about 18 months, oh and then I ended up getting married, having kids, um, and then since that time, another volunteer thing that I do that I haven't been as involved in because I've had other things happening, but I've been back to Congress, I think, at least six times to advocate for asbestos to be um, banned in the United States because it's not banned mm -hmm. in the United States yet, and because that's what he died of. He was a plumber, and he used to make the paste. And so he ended up with mesothelioma. And he, I remember him coming home and he'd be all white when hmm. I was a little kid. Wow. Because and, the asbestos is in what that he was mixing? He was mix, mixing paste for uh, boiler pipes when he was oh, an apprentice plumber it. at mm -hmm. Abrahamson Plumbing. Mm -hmm. They used to be here. And um, at 52, he died. It t it's kind of lays dormant. Some people don't get sick. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always been concerned that I might get it. But... Um, because I was exposed, because I remember seeing him when he was white, mm -hmm. and when he would come in the driveway, my mom would brush him off, but I haven't had any indications that I have mm -hmm. it. But. And at what point does that knowledge that this is bad actually come out, and is he still working with it because corporate America doesn't care, or because they haven't come up with something better. I mean, well, the, is he aware that this the, is bad? Your mom's the, wiping the, him off, so the, is that just... Well, he didn't... Clean, no, or? I think at the time, there wasn't... Um, there weren't indicators then. I mean, this okay. is in the 50s, yeah. you know, the early 60s, so to mid-60s. And he was just a hardworking guy, you know. He um, grew up fishing on the river, and uh, his dad died when he was a little kid, and he's just always worked. And, and you know, when you get mm -hmm. that working mentality, you don't think. And, and there weren't the safety things in place that there are now. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's a latent disease, they call it, because it just sits there dormant for so long. Mm -hmm. And so when it came up, he, um, he actually, we had just done the entire redoing of Michael Foster's home up on Jerome, I think. Is it Jerome? Or is it Irving? Irving. It's Irving. Irving. Yeah. And when he was totally redoing that house, we redid all the heating and all the piping mm -hmm. and all the everything. And um, 
he walked up to the top floor of that house and he said, um, something's wrong with me. I can't breathe. Hmm. And then immediately went down to see old man, Dr. Stryker, and he took a chest x-ray and he said, yep, Stan, there's something wrong. And he was at Providence the next day and, uh, and had exploratory surgery and they cut all the tumors so that they would grow fast because the, pl- the, the tumors come out on your pleura mm-hmm. and then it compresses so that you can't breathe. And so um, he actually, for somebody who had it back then with the chemotherapy they had back then, uh, he lived 18 months. So, wow. And is that something with modern medical science that had, had your dead lived today, would that be curable or is it still Typically too far no. In? Typically, okay. no, it's pretty deadly still. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know of through the Asbestos Disease Awareness Organization where I've volunteered some of my time, there are some who survive longer. I know two women who actually had like a rib removed and part of an, a lung, part of their lungs removed and, you know, pretty, pretty serious surgeries. Mm-hmm. And they are, they are survivors of mm. like 15, 16 years. Wow. Yeah. So I'm hearing too out of this came some advocacy, yeah. which I now know, and since I, I know you, um, seems to have taken over a lot of what you do and choose to do with your time. Mm-hmm. Did that come from your experience with your dad or was it already there? Did you already know that you had this ability to advocate for others? Well, I think I've always, you know, I was always the kid in the neighborhood that um, tied everybody's shoes. I had to be a tomboy because most of the boys in my, so if I really look back and reflect on my life, it's, it's, how do you help? How do I help? And, you know, stray cats, animals, you know, my mom used to just say, why this stray cat, you know, but it, it's, you know, if we're not here to help, if we're not here to make a difference, my feeling has always been, what are we here for? And so that's kind of what I've always done. And there's always opportunity to do that. You don't have to look very far. And then when this happened, and then when I found out more about why my dad died, um, at the time, I didn't really become an advocate then. I had little kids. I had a, you know, I mean, my oldest one was just a baby. Mm. And he died like a couple days before her first birthday. And so Mm. I didn't have the wherewithal. But then I started investigating later and got involved. And and then learned a lot about advocacy through that. And, and then which led to, you know, Northwest Regional ESD board service for 10 years I was appointed and I was a county commissioner and, and I've been a school board member. And so, and, I, and I'm starting a new nonprofit now that we haven't launched yet. Um, just experiences bring you to an opportunity, I think, if you're not afraid to speak up and apparently I'm not. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like when you speak your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, backing up just a little bit, because I'm fascinated by this. You're going to Congress to to advocate and and testify. How does that happen? I mean, you don't just show up and say, hey, Congress people. Well, there's a woman named Linda Reinstein whose um, husband passed away from it. And Barbie McQueen is also involved in the group. And Jordan Levon, um, his dad wrote Werewolves of London, that song. He died of this. And Steve McQueen died of this. And so... You know, you get around these folks that have those contacts and connections and have worked really hard. Um, and so I became part of that group. Um, and we literally went back and met with them. And, and you know, you keep trying. Uh, but I'll tell you, the lobbies for chemical lobby is pretty strong in the United States. And, and there's so much hitting Congress people, you know, when you go back there and you mm-hmm. see... And I always say everybody does everything for a feeling first. You have to make people feel something. And I remember being in a meeting with one congressman from Tennessee, and 
I don't know, he was off on some tangent talking about something, and, and I said, hey, we're here to talk about dead people. People have died because we're not deciding to do what we need to do. So that sort of got his attention, but. Yeah, I would, I would hope that it does, yeah, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, so is this so, what keeps you here? What are, what are some of the things that um, make you choose to stay? Well, we live on a family homestead that my husband and I do out in Jewel, a 40-acre family homestead that we remodeled like 25 years ago, and then now it needs remodeling again. But, <laughs> um, and our grandson is here. Our, um, we're just a two-hour flight from our, our daughter in Arizona, so you know we can blip down there when we feel like it pretty quickly and see her and her family. Um, we have pretty, you know, we have, but both Dave and I have very deep roots here. We have very deep roots here, and we believe in this community. We believe in this county. Um, and, you know, when you find your place, you find your place. And it's hard for me to think about living where there aren't trees and <laughs> rivers. You know, once you've been in trees and rivers, and once you own trees and, and a stream, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty neat. So what, in, in the, the what little spare time you have, what kinds of things do you like to do? I mean, do you, when you say trees and rivers, are you a, a hiker? Or are you a boater? I mean, what, what, what's your hobbies? What's your activities? What's your, oh, our your, hobbies. Your you time. Our, our you time. I don't, <laughs> well, I, fortunately I love what I do for a living. I sell real estate. So I get to meet all these really neat people. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I do that a lot. I do, um, I do like to go outside by our creek. You know, I don't have to go very far to be where there's paradise and I get up in the morning and have coffee and there's elk going across my backyard or they're sleeping next to the house. So, you know, I'm pretty blessed that way. Everybody says, how can you stand that long drive? And I said, you ought to see what I drive to. It's really pretty nice to be in that and it's pretty serene. Um, And I think really I'm, I'm starting a new nonprofit called Operation Restore Justice about uh, courts and people that are sort of trafficked through courts who are wrongly accused and or you know family court victims who um, sometimes those are used for as stage stages to um, abuse another person and um, so and the it's a 50 billion dollar a year industry in this country and I've gotten to know wow. some amazing people as I learn more about other people's stories mm-hmm. so um, haven't launched that yet, but we're getting close. We have a board of directors and um, grant writers ready to write grants um, so that hopefully we can provide some financial assistance to some folks and do some lobbying work. Now, is that something that will be centered on on Oregon or nationwide or well, Clatsop County? I've, or? I mean, there's people that we're talking to in New York. It's okay. a, it's a, It's really a national problem because there's so much money. It's so monetized. It's really monetized, and it really needs to be in the best interest of the child, but it is monetized if you see these, what they call high-conflict cases. I mean, it usually means that somebody's harming somebody, mm. you know, and a lot of people can sit around the table if they're going to get a divorce for, for a family court example and say, you know, maybe we can't be together anymore, but, you know, our kids are going to get this much from you and this much from me, and they decide that all themselves. But in situations where there's complicated complex issues, um, sometimes it, you can be in family court for many, many years for an entire child's life. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's, and there's a cost there's, to that. Yeah. There's a cost to that. There's a huge cost to that. And in, in more than just money, there's a huge cost to that. It takes your time. It takes, it takes the 
kids' childhood sometimes, um, their safety, you know, there's a, there's a mm. lot of things that are lost, I think, that way. And, and so if we can provide some awareness and, um, and, and the board is comprised of, you know, a retired detective and uh, a criminal court victim and a couple family court victims and, and myself. And so we're looking forward to sort of seeing where we go. We've got our bylaws all done. I would think almost as well as, as helping individuals who are going through that, just an awareness because unless your family or your friends have gone through something like that, you're probably not aware that there's, there is this huge issue. People have no idea. People have no idea. Um, and sometimes some cases have what's called a gag order on them. So you can't talk Hmm. about them. You could literally be held in contempt of court and be told you have to go to jail, although it's not criminal jail. Somebody told me it's remedial jail, so apparently there's different levels of jail, but I think you're in there with the same <laughs> what people. What does remedial jail mean? I don't, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to find out. I don't want to know <laughs> either, but yeah. So there's a, there's a lot out there that people don't, aren't aware of, mm-hmm. aren't aware of. What's coming next for you? Do you see, I mean, moving forward with this project, obviously, but any other, I mean, what about politics again? I mean, it seems like you are still in politics because you're still advocating. You're still uh, well. I've been asked. I was actually asked to run for um, House Representative. I've been asked many, many times by unions, by different people. And what I've learned through my political experience (laughs) is there's more power and more influence in being a um, citizen that's active. Mm-hmm. than you are when you're elected, I believe, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think you can support an elected person in meaningful ways if you're mm-hmm. a citizen, but you can write legislation when you're a citizen. You can uh, network with others when you're a citizen. You can do a lot when you're a citizen, and I think a lot of people don't do that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if some of the work that I end up doing with this other project um, encourages people to do that, that's what I'm hoping for because, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of years left, but young people need to step up and step in and lean in to what democracy really is. You know, I'm kind of afraid we're losing that. Like people don't really care and Mm -hmm. you have to care because there are, there really is evil influences in the world. There truly are. Mm -hmm. And there are selfish influences in the world that affect your environment, your home, your life, your safety, everything. And, and, you know, what are we doing about that? You know, we got to take responsibility for our own place. I think for too many people, it's easy to think, well, that doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. Or it's over on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. And it is easy to sit out and not think that, that it affects you. And, and it does. Everything well, the thing is, when it in. finally does affect you, it's too late to do something about it sometimes. If you're not watching, then you're reactionary and you're going to have to react. And at that point, you've already lost. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, hap- that does seem to happen a lot. I mean, because by the time somebody becomes involved, it's because a decision has been made, right? I right. mean, yeah. I, I see that just from, you know, w- watching my husband in politics, too, that that's when people are most angry when that power is gone um, because they did miss the opportunity and they didn't know how to advocate ahead of a decision being made. Um, and that is frustrating and disappointing. Yeah. So I always ask anybody who's who's fished, and I will consider that you were fishing with your dad. That Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. makes you a professional fisher person in my in my Mm -hmm. brook. So, what's your favorite fish? Oh, salmon, absolutely. Spring chinook salmon. And and how do you like it cooked? 
I like it baked with just a little bit of butter. Don't, you don't want to mess it up. I don't want any sauces on it. I don't want any of that kind of stuff. Just plain, and it's it's it, uh, there's nothing better. Sounds delicious. I per- love it. Perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is that what we're having for dinner? Not not spring chinook. Not yet. Just yet. <laughs> That's just right. But we're dreaming of it. We are. Yeah. Dreaming it's of coming it. very soon. Well, but, and yes. thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was lovely talking to you, and thanks for the work that you do in our community. Uh, it's appreciated. All right. Thanks for listening. Go make some history. We will catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.